You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost you a single cent and ensures you never miss another episode. Before we kick off tonight's proceedings, I wanted to tell you about one of Locked On's other great podcasts because you need more hockey news and Locked On NHL is here to fill the gap. It's our daily podcast on everything happening in the league. Subscribe and listen each day for a quick look at the biggest stories and game recaps. Subscribe to Locked On NHL today wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On tonight's episode, there is a decent amount of content to cover. Um, The first thing we'll start off with is some thoughts from last night's Montreal versus Tampa Bay game. And then after we kind of talk about the implications of the result and what I think is next in this series, which, you know, spoiler alert, Montreal actually pulled off a victory. We'll then dive into some free agent contracts and stuff that have been ongoing and, and what this may mean for the rest of the league and who we should be targeting maybe or what other teams might be looking for to fill their free agency needs. Then, closing us out, we will have some more Euro 2020 coverage, talking about some of the great matches and implications for tomorrow's big match between England and Denmark. First off, though, let us start with last night's events between Tampa Bay and Montreal. In that game, it was a bit of a tight one. You know, Montreal obviously was the weaker team coming out of the first period. The Lightning very much looked like they were ready to close the series. You could tell that Tampa Bay has been here before. They understand what it means to shut down an opponent. They're very good at killing off a game, and it's been a a bit apparent that this series, Carey Price hasn't been quite as good as he has been in previous series. I I think at every point you sort of expect that a goaltender isn't going to be Vezina caliber. Price was doing a ton of work, especially in the earlier series, and at some point you probably would expect at least a little bit of a regression towards the mean in terms of his his performance on the ice. But this, this series against Tampa Bay, I think even by the expectations of him maybe declining just a little bit, it was a, a little bit of a crash to earth, especially compared to previous games. And so this was a big return to form for Price. I feel like for the most part, he was very sharp. He bailed out Montreal when they needed it. He was a wall in net, you know, cut down angles very aggressively, showed good composure when the puck was basically squirting around the crease and creating a lot of havoc for his defenders to try and manage. Even when Montreal's defense was struggling to cope with Tampa's pressure, Price was there to answer most of the questions. It did get a little bit dicey, though, because uh, Alexander Romanov did actually take the lead in, you know, I think the end of the second period or the start of the third period, and Montreal looked like they were okay, but then, you know, towards the end of the the third period, Pat Maroon somehow ended up on a nice two-on-one, partly due to an unfortunate error from Brett Kulak, who got caught a little bit, and Pat Maroon had the inside step as Kulak lost balance and was basically already behind Maroon, kind of cutting in towards the open side. And Tampa basically tied the game at the death, and you kind of wondered, is Montreal going to be able to carry this one? Because if they get into a situation where they're in a a sudden death overtime against Tampa Bay, that's a really dicey situation when you're fighting for elimination. Things got even worse when, like 30 seconds before the end of regulation, Shea Weber took a double minor with a high sticking and blood. So, yeah, that was a little bit scary. But Montreal, thanks to some really great penalty-killing efforts, 
was able to stave off elimination. I will say that their penalty kill uh, didn't really seem to function all that differently from like their, their regulation period penalty kills, which is kind of funny. You might expect them to be a little bit more conservative, but they always pride themselves on being very aggressive and putting a lot of pressure on the power play units. That pressure actually nearly resulted in a game winner thanks to Philip Deneau on a shorthanded near breakaway. He was a little bit pressured from behind, so he wasn't exactly through on goal, but he was pretty darn close. About as close as you could expect, and uh, very nearly put it away. But um, Tampa Bay ended up surviving at least for a few more minutes, and then thanks to a great effort along the left flank from Josh Anderson, who stripped the puck from an opposing skater, he worked an excellent rush on a counter with uh, Cole Caulfield to score the game winner. Caulfield was left a pass as Josh Anderson was basically going past the goal line and already behind the net. Caulfield sort of tapped it back across the crease. No one from Tampa Bay was there to get it. Vasilevsky had already been pulled slightly out of position by the cross crease feed, and Josh Anderson basically stuck the stick back up below the goal line and just prodded the puck home. If ever Montreal needed a lifeline, this was it because they were basically getting spanked for most of the game until the, I would say, midway point or so, and then things kind of started to turn into their favor. But the tale of the series thus far is that even when Montreal plays well, it hasn't really mattered. They can outproduce and outcreate in terms of scoring chances and high danger chances. All that stuff is fine, but Andre Vasilevsky has basically handled every single challenge he's been passed. And then when it comes to uh, Carey Price at the other end, Price has been struggling a little bit because his D aren't really giving him a whole lot of support, and every time Montreal makes a mistake, it automatically ends up on the stick of some really great Tampa Bay shooter. This time, though, it didn't matter. Um, they ended up surviving just long enough to extend the series, which is a big deal for Montreal. Now they go back to Tampa on tomorrow night's game in what will be another elimination game. Every game from here on out is basically a last-ditch effort to try and salvage the series. I gotta be honest, I don't think Montreal can pull off a reverse sweep against Tampa Bay, but look, if you're gonna have your name carved into the cup for immortality and legend, this would be the time to do it. Even if Montreal ends up falling, I think it's important that they, they you know, at least get some credit for the amount of hard work that they've put in. Even as a neutral, I feel like the criticism of the Habs has at least been a little bit unfair in certain areas. There are other parts of the, the criticism that I entirely agree with, especially when it comes to roster construction and some of the really puzzling benchings. And look, I get that the North Division wasn't that strong. I think that that is very clear as we've seen against some of the top-end teams. It's hard to know how many of the other divisions were all that great, but I would certainly say that the North was probably among the weaker of the divisions. But I don't think that you could say Montreal hasn't earned its way here. They've fought through some very difficult opponents. They've had some very topsy-turvy playoff runs. I, I think they deserve all the credit for reaching this point, and even if they don't win more than one or two games... They shouldn't consider this necessarily a failure in the sense of having anything to be ashamed about. I saw some headlines from Montreal media that were kind of like, oh, you know, the Habs are never going to forgive themselves if they give, you know, Tampa Bay an easy walkthrough. And it's like, well, Montreal might not have much of a choice. They're going to fight as hard as they can, but this is against a team that's just stacked on almost every level. And now that they've won a game, they've got a foot in the door. Is it a big foot? No. I mean, the gap for them to try to force the door open and get the series back into better straights is, is pretty hard for them to probably picture, especially going forward. But it's a start. So let's hope Montreal makes it a series and continues to extend the play so we get more playoff action. I'll have thoughts from that game on tomorrow night's episode, but for now that will do it for our coverage of Montreal versus Tampa Bay, at least for the time being. Now it is time to transition to free agent signings and some contract extensions and what they may mean for the Jets and the rest of the league. Before then though, I wanted to tell you about why rockauto.com should be the only place you buy your auto parts. 
There are thousands upon thousands of cars and trucks out there. You might even see multiple makes and models of the same exact line. With a crazy amount of cars and vehicles out there, it can be hard for auto parts stores to keep up with their inventory of auto parts supply. You might go to all the trouble of going out to the auto parts store only to find that they don't have what you need in stock and have to special order it. If you want to save time and money, then go to rockauto.com instead. They're a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their intuitive, easy-to-use website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and then set a price range filter so you always get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you can save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. So why shop anywhere else? That fuel pump for the Honda Odyssey you see for $350 from a retail chain? It's $216 from rockauto.com. You'll never pay a membership fee either, and you always pay the same prices no matter your level of experience. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are looking at some free agent signings and extensions, trying to get a sense of what exactly the market over this upcoming summer is going to be like for the NHL and for the Winnipeg Jets. We'll start off with some very small signings first. Christian Wollenen has signed a one-year contract extension with the LA Kings. Wollenen is actually not a bad, you know, third-pairing defender, or at least he was when he was in Ottawa. I feel like Wollenen is one of those guys that Winnipeg could pick up for a reasonable price, especially with the uh, the likely glut of free agents that will probably hit the market, looking for at least very short-term contracts as they try to sort through COVID finances. I, I think Winnipeg probably needs to aim a little bit higher than third-pairing D. You know, Derek Forbort, I think he was okay as, like, the price that they paid for him was pretty low, but... When you look at his actual on-ice performance, yeah, he's not exactly a second-pairing defender, so Winnipeg probably needs to aim a little bit higher, but I would not be shocked to see them pick up a Wollenin type because that just seems to be their M.O. Speaking of depth players that the Jets love, they've also re-signed. Uh, it was Dominic Toninato for around 750000 for two years. Toninato is an expansion candidate, so they might try to get him to get plucked from Seattle instead of somebody like Andrew Kopp or Mason Appleton. I like Toninato, so if he hangs around, it's not exactly a bad thing, but certainly Appleton or Cop would be much bigger losses. I imagine that Toninato might be the kind of player that Winnipeg, I don't know, maybe they try to package some lower-end prospect or something, convince Seattle to take him instead. If nothing else, he's cheap depth, but I'm not really convinced that he has a, a significant long-term role with Winnipeg, and I feel like most people are kind of of the same mindset. In a very similar vein, Nick Bugstad has re-signed in Minnesota for $900,000 for one season. That's like dirt cheap. I mean, Bugstad, a couple years ago, you would have thought he was probably in like a top six contract range, but nowadays... Bugstad is basically like a third or a fourth liner, so for 900k, you're probably not going wrong. Um, it's not the kind of contract where you're expecting a lot of on-ice performance from him, but he certainly fills a depth role, and I feel like it, it could be worse, right? Um, the deal that they definitely are taking a much bigger risk on is Joel Eriksson Ek for eight years at 42 million. This deal is an interesting one because it's definitely of the sort where I feel like a lot of teams have been pushing the term in order to get the cap hits down. I think a lot of people are expecting the cap to stay flat for some time, so, you know, cost-controlled assets that aren't that expensive are going to be really valuable going forward. And Erickson Eck is a really interesting player. You look at his player profile over the past couple of seasons, 
He's got an interesting profile in the sense of very good at promoting offense in the central slot area at the attacking end of the ice, and then in his own end of the ice, he's actually very defensively responsible. Shuts down a lot of attacking routes uh, down the center, and seems to be a really good promoter of play driving ability, but the thing with him is that he doesn't really score, so, you know, his on-ice performance, it's it's interesting in that it, it looks like a third liner in a lot of ways, but then you look at his actual shot impacts and stuff, and he's he's producing at a level that you would expect of a more second line or even first line center. Given his time on ice deployments, his impact on the ice, and the contract that he's been awarded, I feel like Minnesota maybe made an all right bet. Eight years at $42 million is the kind of deal that, yes, it is signed for eternity, but it's also the kind of contract that you could probably move down the road. And at just over $5 million per season, I don't think it's that bad. Um, I, if he kind of scores at like 30 to 40 points per season, I'm a little bit less sure of the contract value. But if he starts to climb to like the 40s and 50s and beyond, I feel like, you know, you're looking at a much better value contract and something that Minnesota will be happy with. Erickson Eck is, is definitely one of those players that has a decent amount of potential, but he is in the prime age now. And if he doesn't start scoring a lot soon, he's probably going to be capped at this play driving but low-scoring center who, again, is very good at what he does, but maybe you might ask questions about the contract and, and the, the price tag on it, too. Looking at all these deals, it's very interesting. It seems like teams are being very thrifty, and they're looking at term versus high uh, cap hits over the next couple of seasons. They're extending it out for a long time, trying to get that, that dollar per season down, especially in the case of like Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Joel Erickson Eck. I find this interesting because it does mean that the free agent market is probably going to be depressed this year. You know, you've got a couple of marquee names like Dougie Hamilton and maybe Tomas Tatar, but I don't really know how much they're actually going to go for. Tatar will probably be on the cheaper side, and I feel like you could sign him for three years at maybe $3.5 million per season. He'd be a stellar value signing at that price tag. I feel like I'd actually want the Jets to go after him in that case. But Hamilton is a much bigger question mark. I feel like Hamilton could easily get $6 million per season, 6 or even 7 He's worth that price tag, but I, I don't know how it's going to pan out. If he's looking for like a big high cap hit, high dollar amount contract, it'd probably have to be shorter term. I just don't know how many teams are really willing to do that right now because it seems like everyone is trying to do really low uh, low value contracts in terms of like if you're doing it for one to two seasons, it's like league minimum. If you're looking at seven to eight years, it's under six million. So Hamilton's in an interesting spot because he's probably the most valuable free agent commodity we've seen hit the market in a couple of seasons. You know, we've got like Artemi Panarin, who's a, a phenomenal goal scorer and playmaker. But when it comes to how the market tends to evaluate skaters, you know, the right-handed big shooting defensemen who play on all situations like Hamilton are extraordinarily rare. So I would imagine that in a normal season, he would command a ton of money. I don't know what it's going to look like this offseason. If he would come to Winnipeg, I could see a lot of scenarios where we'd all be very happy, but I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go elsewhere. I'm sure plenty of teams will be after his services. He's an amazing player, and as much as I would love for the Jets to acquire Hamilton, he may just be beyond our reach. So let's hope uh, the Jets can pull off at least a couple of decent acquisitions, maybe some trades to get things going and get this team back on, on track because the quality of competition for Winnipeg is only going to get harder from here. Let's hope that the Jets actually for once make some moves and get us back into competitive straights. I'll have some more thoughts as the offseason continues to roll on about players the Jets should be targeting or, or some of the moves that have been made already. For now, though, I did want to transition to the other big tournament occurring right now, which is the Euro 2020, and we've been talking about it throughout the past couple of weeks. We're finally into the last couple of games of the tournament, and what a ride it has been. Before we walk through today's Euro 2020 action, I did want to tell you about why BetOnline should be the only place you do your online betting. 
When it comes to the wild, wild west of online betting, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Hockey, baseball, and basketball season are all in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, international soccer, and every sport in between. No matter what you're into, BetOnline has your back. Before the next pitch or face-off, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and get a peek at all their great contests. Stop sitting on the sidelines and get in on the action today as all of your favorite teams begin their playoff quests for glory. Win while your favorite teams are winning. To get started, register for a free account at BetOnline.ag on your laptop or mobile device, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are now transitioning from hockey talk to football talk because it is the Euro 2020 tournament and we are in the very final stages as we get to the last semifinals games, kicking off with Italy versus Spain today. Now this match was, as you might expect, very cagey. Both teams love to play possession, both teams are very defensively resolute, or at least on paper they are. Spain is a very strange team this year. I feel like the Spaniards have been like, very high event, relatively speaking. You look at the team and the way that they play, and like they love to play a lot of midfield possession, but as soon as they get countered on, their defense starts to collapse. Part of that might be because of Unai Simon in net, who's been a little bit shaky as far as goaltenders are concerned. His numbers in terms of like expected goals against versus the quality of saves and goals he saved above expectation probably look okay just because of the volume of chances that he's facing, but when you look at some of the uh, decisions that he's made coming out of his net, and some of the stuff that's happened with him, you might wonder if he's actually all that good. It often feels like Simone isn't quite on the same page as his defenders and midfielders, especially when they make back passes and stuff. I don't know what's going on with that team, but they're certainly very chaotic in terms of uh, organization, communication, and uh, I don't know, it's a weird team. Watching them this year has been very entertaining because I really don't know what to expect with Spain. But to their credit, they played the best team in this tournament in Italy very evenly. I thought that at times Spain was actually the better squad. They were neck and neck the whole way. They created some fabulous chances. But it was clear that until Alvaro Morata came on later in the game, they really didn't have like a lead striker. While the Spanish forwards are certainly quality and talented, you know, you've got Danny Olmo and Mikel Oyartabal and Pedri, it, it wasn't quite enough to get them to where they needed to actually finish. And so, you know, Morata comes on and then scores a massive tying goal, bringing it to 1-1, and then Spain forces overtime. Italy, though, I mean, they had such a strong defensive performance in the regulation periods, and then towards the overtime, you could start to tell that they were getting gassed. I felt like they were basically just playing for pens, which, against Spain, is actually a pretty good strategy. The Spanish team has not been good at penalties. And unfortunately, despite a better showing in pens than they showed against uh, Switzerland a couple of days ago, Spain ended up falling to the, the Italians. I don't think that they can really complain about the result. The scoreline was pretty fair. It just felt like one of those games where a single mistake was going to be the difference. And Danny Omo missing the first pen, while Murata had his pen saved later in the order, just kind of sank Spain's ship. You could sort of tell that both teams were pretty tired, but I think Spain probably had just a little bit more jump. That said, if you're looking for a really strong contender for whoever emerges tomorrow between Denmark and England, it's probably got to be Italy. They are the tournament favorites, and I wouldn't be shocked if they win at all, but England versus Denmark presents a very interesting challenge. Either of those teams could actually go toe-to-toe with Italy, although I don't think Denmark really has a great shot. That said, the Danes have been quietly very good this tournament. 
I feel like not a lot has been made about their level of success because most of the teams that they're beating and, and dominating aren't exactly like superpowers in world football. But if they somehow beat England, they immediately become the Cinderella story that I think everyone's rooting for. I think a lot of folks were hoping that they would advance anyways because of the whole Christian Eriksen incident. But even then, Denmark certainly has an uphill battle against a very defensively disciplined England team, and if they see off England, then they get the very defensively disciplined Italian team with amazing counters and some really great forwards like Chiesa. So, the road to a Euro title is going to be very difficult for any of these teams. I'm curious to know what it's going to be like for whoever wins tomorrow, because it, Italy's going to be very tired, I would think. They've logged a lot of miles, their defense is on the older side, and going into extra time against Spain probably didn't make things easier. Let me know who you're rooting for at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets if you're pooling for England, Italy, or even Denmark. I'm personally rooting for the Danes, but I'd love to know who you're supporting in the comments, so be sure to let me know, and we will have our Euro 2020 final coverage very soon. That will do it for tonight's show, though. Before you log off, don't forget to check out one of our other great podcasts so you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite media. And as always, thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!